good evening, everyone, and thank you, Stephen. Uh, for anyone who is visiting or, or kind of new to this series, this is, as Stephen said, this is our third week, thinking about the Cinderella of the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit. And you'll see from the screen where this idea and where this kind of series title has come from. But we're currently in, in the middle, or not quite there yet, of identifying 20 things that every Christian or, or every person should know about the Holy Spirit. And by the end of last Sunday night, we had looked at eight, and, and here's the list so far. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. We know that right from Genesis chapter one, verse two. The Holy Spirit was active and present in certain people's lives at certain times for certain tasks in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our personal tutor. And then the eighth thing, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And so as we move on, I want to turn to the kind of the ninth thing that we're going to look at. We're hopefully going to get the 17 things tonight. Okay, so, so here's the, the ninth thing. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. Now, that can kind of seem or sound familiar to, to the eighth one we've looked at, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And, and there definitely is some kind of overlap between grieving and quenching the Spirit, but they are different things as well. And before we, we look in Scripture at where this idea comes from, and many of you know where it comes from, but let me say something more generally about quenching or stifling the Holy Spirit. Fear can sometimes be associated with the work and presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, now, I don't mean the healthy kind of fear that we are all meant to have regarding God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know the, the, the fear that means and leads to reverence and respect? We're meant to have that kind of fear of God. Where we acknowledge who God is, his bigness, his vastness, his majesty, his, his holiness. The kind of fear that compels us to bow down and worship. That, that's not the fear I'm talking about. The fear I'm referring to is that kind of fear that causes us to be afraid or scared of the Holy Spirit. Maybe even nervous or apprehensive. A fear that leads us to avoid him. Or maybe at the very least to keep him at arm's length. And, and I believe it's that kind of fear that can quench, that can stifle the Holy Spirit. And I do appreciate that as a result of maybe a bad experience, a confusing or maybe even a disturbing experience that you have been through, you were part of, that was attributed to the Holy Spirit, that as a result of that, then some people are fearful. They are anxious about any kind of focus that there might be on the Holy Spirit as a person and his work and ministry. Not only in our lives, but maybe just a nervousness or an anxiety when it comes to church life and the presence and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a reality that we've got to be honest about. But even in our fear and our unease, we must not extinguish, because that, that's another word, not just quench, stifle. We must not extinguish the Holy Spirit or, or downplay him. 
because we're maybe frightened or we're afraid that he might take us outside of our comfort zones. And when that happens, when we have that kind of fear, that kind of unhealthy fear, then I believe the Holy Spirit is quenched. But, but let's look at where this explicit warning comes from, just to get a wee bit of congregational participation. Does anyone know in Scripture where it says, do not quench the Holy Spirit? Yeah, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is at a point where he is finishing up his first letter. You know there are two letters to the church at Thessalonica, but Paul is finishing up his first letter, and he has got to a point where he's offering his readers some final advice. And so in verses 16, 17, and 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. And then we come to this little section just before Paul brings final greetings. He says this, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Now, verse 19, which is just that first sentence, verse 19 can be taken in isolation. And still stand. Do not quench the spirit. But in its context, it seems that one of the ways we can quench the spirit is by treating prophecies with contempt. We stifle the spirit by devaluing prophetic words. And what are prophetic words? Well, prophetic words are those spirit-inspired, intelligible messages given to people to encourage others and to build up the church. Paul writes about these in another one of his letters. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says this, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Now, obviously, this can and has been misused and abused, which is exactly why Paul says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. And although here he doesn't specify, how do we test prophecy? I think two things are clear, not just from this text, but including from this text. The first is this, that scripture is always the standard is the norm by which prophecy is to be tested, never the other way around. We know that, and therefore, if a prophetic word is shared, it cannot contradict, it cannot contravene, it cannot violate Scripture in any shape or form. The second test, given what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, that the purpose behind prophecy is to strengthen, it's to encourage, it's to comfort, it is for the common good. Any prophetic word that does not do that can be kicked into touch. But that said, says Paul, we must be careful not to extinguish, not to stifle, not to quench the Holy Spirit by treating a supernatural work of the Spirit, specifically prophecy, with contempt. And so the difference, if you like, between grieving and quenching is this. If you were here last week, and many of you will know this, here is the difference between grieving and quenching. We grieve the Holy Spirit in our relationships with one another. 
And so we've looked at this. When we withhold forgiveness, when we show bitterness, when we tear other people down, when we slander one another, the Bible teaches us those are the kind of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to quenching the Spirit, that happens whenever we dismiss and whenever we restrain his presence and his activity in our midst. So we, the Holy Spirit can be quenched. The next thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit is he is the one who convicts. Whenever Jesus was explaining to his disciples what exactly the coming Holy Spirit would do, and the, the disciples were unsure. They were fearful about the whole idea of the Holy Spirit. Whenever Jesus mentioned, listen, it's better for you that I go and the, the Holy Spirit comes, they were afraid. But whenever Jesus was explaining to him exactly what the Holy Spirit would do, he said this in John chapter 16, verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, it is never our job, it's never my job, my responsibility to challenge people and convict. Well, it is my responsibility to challenge, but never to convict them. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And yes, I, I am required, I am responsible for standing up and trying to present God's story and the gospel story and tell people about Jesus. But it is not up to me, it is not up to us as a church to convict anyone. The Holy Spirit does that. And as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit convicts people in three ways and in three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in John 16, Jesus goes on further after this verse to explain exactly what these mean. So he says in verse 9, concerning sin... Because they do not believe in me. You see, unbelief, to never believe in Jesus is a grave sin. It's, it's maybe the most basic sin. The unforgivable sin, and we'll come back to that. But it is the Holy Spirit who convicts people of that danger of never believing in Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who brings to people's awareness the reality of who Jesus is. And so we pray, please, Holy Spirit, continue to convict people of their sin, and particularly the sin of unbelief and not recognizing who you are. And then Jesus says in verse 10, secondly, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. You see, righteousness means right living, living as God intended. And this was ultimately seen in Jesus, who was the, the epitome of righteousness. But now that he was going, now that he was leaving, he was saying to his disciples, I am going to my Father, I will no longer be seen. And so I'm sending the Holy Spirit who is going to convict people. He's going to convict the world regarding righteousness, regarding right living, regarding living as God intended, regarding how I lived. And so the Holy Spirit enables, convicts people to see Jesus for who he is. And then thirdly in verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan, the devil, the ruler of this world has been judged. Jesus made it clear that as a result of his death on the cross, the enemy of our souls has been defeated. And whenever Jesus rose from the dead, it says the power of him who holds the power of death, that was Satan, has been broken. 
So Satan has been defeated, says Jesus. He's currently living on borrowed time. But one day, and this is, this is taught clearly in Revelation 20, he will be thrown away forever. Final judgment awaits Satan. But it also awaits us. It also awaits all humanity. Judgment is a reality for every human being. God's word again is explicit on this. Hebrews 9.27 Just as people are destined to die once and one out of one people die. Just as people are destined to die once and after that they face judgment. And so the final judgment, a day of reckoning has been scheduled and it is the Holy Spirit who convicts people of that fact. And thank God he does. Whenever Paul spoke to someone called, a man called Felix in Acts 24, and he spoke to him about a number of things, but he also spoke to him, it says, about the judgment that was to come. And whenever Paul spoke to Felix about the judgment that was to come, it says that Felix was afraid and he trembled. Paul didn't make him do that. The Holy Spirit did. That is his role. That is what he does. He convicts concerning sin, concerning right living, concerning final judgment. Following on from that, the Holy Spirit then directs people to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus real. According to Jesus then in John chapter 15, he says whenever the the helper comes who is the spirit of truth, and we thought about that last week, he, it says will bear witness to me. Or in another version, he, the Holy Spirit, will testify about me. You see, the Holy Spirit, again, is the one who brings the reality of Jesus home to people. Yes, he convicts. Yes, he unsettles. Yes, he disturbs. But it's also he who makes Jesus real. He points people to Jesus and towards him, which kind of leads on to the next thing. I'm just going to look at a number of these quickly. The Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus. Now, we said last week as we quoted the Nicene Creed that the Holy Spirit with the Father and with the Son is to be worshipped and to be glorified. And so we said last week it's okay to sing to the Holy Spirit. It can be okay to pray to the Holy Spirit. But as Jesus makes clear in John 16, the Holy Spirit also specifically brings glory to him. He, the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me By taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So what is it that is mine? What is it that is Jesus's? And that the Spirit makes known to us and therefore brings glory to Jesus? Well, it's his identity. It's his activity. It's his teaching. It's his words. It's the very fact that he is redeemer and savior. It's the very fact that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus by pointing people to him, to Jesus, to our redeemer, to our savior, to the words he spoke, to his activity and to all he did and said. The Holy Spirit always, always puts Jesus in the limelight. It is the Holy Spirit who turns the focus on to Jesus. He will bring glory to me, says Jesus. Thirteenth thing. The Holy Spirit is our guide. Last week we we recognized that he is the spirit of truth. He is our teacher. But shortly after Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit convicts, he then also explained that it would be the Holy Spirit who would guide them into all truth. Now this may seem similar to him as teacher, but it's slightly different because Jesus said he will guide you into all 
truth. Nobody is going to be left to find their own way through the complexity and confusion regarding truth. We may live in a world at a time when everybody seems to have their own version of truth. This is my truth. Tell me yours. But Jesus said, you know, it's the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. It is the Holy Spirit who will guide you to me, who is truth. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So again, it is the Holy Spirit who turns the spotlight on Jesus and enables us to see him in all his brilliance and beauty. The Holy Spirit guides. And then the Holy Spirit is our reminder. Again, similar to teacher, but this time Jesus says, listen, he, the Holy Spirit, will remind you of everything I've said to you. It's an incredible thought. The disciples heard Jesus live, but we have his words written down for us, recorded for us. We know what Jesus said, what Jesus taught, and we can still hear those words. But it is the Holy Spirit who brings them to mind. And that is why it is so important as a church that we constantly read Scripture and also we encourage the memorization of parts of Scripture. Because at an appropriate moment, maybe when you need it badly, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings to memory the words of Jesus. So he is our reminder. Next thing, the Holy Spirit knows the future. Here's what Jesus said in John 16. He will tell you what is yet to come. The helper, the advocate, the one I am sending, he will tell you what is yet to come. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the future as perfectly as he knows the past. He doesn't keep it a secret. Now, that is not to say that the Holy Spirit will tell us everything in every detail about what's going to happen tomorrow or this day next week or in months' time or whatever. That's not what it's referring to. It's what it's saying is, listen, the Holy Spirit via Scripture, all Scripture that is God-breathed, he is going to make it clear. He is going to clarify for you what is yet to come in terms of judgment, in terms of life after death, in terms of your eternal death. Destination. It is the Holy Spirit who will reveal, who will tell you what is yet to come. That is why I'm sending him. And then two more things: the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. And this is this is a sobering thought. And this is one of the most disturbing things about him. One of the, the scariest, and I know it's at times misused verses in scriptures found in Matthew 12. It's also recorded in Mark's gospel, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And people often refer to this as the the unpardonable sin. Because it would appear that there is no forgiveness for anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? What exactly is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Some people have been tortured about this. Some people have been worried, sick that they may have done it, they may have committed it. But as I understand it, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to forever deny who Jesus is. It is to show contempt for the testimony of the Holy Spirit who points people to Jesus. Or another way to put it, the unforgivable sin is never to ask for forgiveness of Jesus. 
That is the unforgivable sin. It is to meet your maker without ever having willingly bowed your knee to Jesus. That, that is the only, as I understand, unforgivable sin. To meet your maker and have lived life your own way as opposed to God's way. Because at that point, it's too late. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is serious. But for anyone who's declared Jesus as Lord, they're never in danger of committing that sin. And the final thing I want us to look at, the 17th on our list. And this is such an encouragement. The Holy Spirit prays for us. I find it's a humbling thought. I, I know Jesus intercedes, but I, I don't know if I always think of the Holy Spirit as praying for me. But in Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27, it says this. Likewise, says Paul, the Spirit helps you in your weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is, in the, mind, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I just want to finish by highlighting three aspects of this truth about the Holy Spirit. And the first is that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses and prays for us because we are weak. And I reckon and I acknowledge that, that all of us know we're weak. But the assurance of one who is within us, who helps us in that place, is a massive encouragement and comfort. I am weak. But in my weakness, the Spirit helps me. That's what Paul teaches, that's what Scripture teaches. Secondly, the Holy Spirit prays for us because we often haven't a clue how to do it or what to pray for. How many times, like the disciples, have you cried, Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. And what I love about these verses is the discovery that, that when I am stuck, when I can't find the words, when I'm struggling to pray, the Spirit intercedes for me and he does it with groanings that are too deep for words. His verbally inexpressible prayer ministry is going on in my life right now. Right now. You see, we carry prayer within us because the praying Spirit is within us. What a thought. We carry prayer within us because the praying spirit is within us. And then thirdly and finally, his prayers for us are according to the will of God. Did you see that in those words? So often when I'm praying, I need to add, I feel to add, I need to add, if it's your will, and then I pray. But you know what the brilliant thing about the Spirit's prayers for me? They are always perfectly in line, in tune, and in harmony with God's will. Always. Now, this discovery that the Spirit is praying for us right now helps us in our weaknesses, prays for us when we don't know what to pray for, prays for us according to the will of God. That isn't a kind of get-out-of-prayer-free card. It doesn't mean we don't need to pray or shouldn't bother praying because the Holy Spirit's going to pick up my slack. No, we've got to pray because as Paul says in Ephesians 6, and we'll get to this in our Sunday morning series, Paul actually says, I want you to pray how? I want you to pray in the Spirit. That's how I want you to pray, in the Spirit. And so we're not to give up, never to give up praying. 
but remembering all the time that when we feel weak and we don't know what to pray for, that there is one who is interceding for us right now before the Father. So here are 17 to date. I'm getting, it's getting harder and harder to squeeze them onto the screen. But just as we finish and as you look down those, as we think of what we looked at tonight, the, the Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. It's the Holy Spirit who directs people to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus real to people. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is our reminder. The Holy Spirit knows the future. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. And the Holy Spirit prays for us. Just as we close tonight, what I want you to do is I want you to look down that list of all 17. And I want you to kind of choose one that has maybe struck you as never before. You've maybe never realized it before, never appreciated it before. You've forgotten it or whatever. But really, it has kind of hit home in a fresh way during these past three weeks. And just in the silence as we close and as the guys come back up, because we're going to finish with that song, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. And as we finish and as we sing that song, I want you to kind of think about one of these truths about the Holy Spirit and just thank God. Thank the Holy Spirit for what he does, for what he is still doing in people's lives, but also in your lives. So let's stand together and let's sing, breathe on me, breath of God. And let's take this opportunity as we sing to give thanks to the Holy Spirit for just one thing that he does that we've looked at so far. Let's stand together.